0: Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves and paying for it out of our own pockets because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com P-A-T-R-E-O-N and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after the episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society. I want him to be in there be there, and I want him to be alone and I want him to be sad and I want him even to come over and you could still do the thing about I think that line is important about I always believe <gasps> yeah. in you I yeah. just didn't believe in me and then she could say I'm happy for you Blaine yeah. now why yes. don't you take your newfound knowledge and go be a better person <laughs> yes
1: hello world there's a song that we're singing come on get
0: Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who never wore a dress without pantyhose, aka nylons, probably packaged in a plastic egg.
1: We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we're saving the
2: unforgettable movie that gave many of us a rallying cry at a time when we really needed it. Someone let them know that you didn't break me. Pretty in Pink. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. We all have that one movie that we can watch over and over and over again. The one that for some reason reached into your soul, grabbed you, and shook really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's the movie we can still quote lines from and often do. The movie we know every word of the soundtrack. It's also the movie that your kids won't ever watch with you no matter how much you beg them to because you are the one who asked them to watch it. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Amen. Well, for me and for many of our listeners, that movie is the 1986 John Hughes classic, Pretty in Pink. Woo! I feel like that's (laughs) Applause. (laughs) Applause, 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 (laughs) as Iona would say. You guys, this movie is one of, if not the most affecting movie of my life. I've seen it more times than I, I could even know. And it's like every scene is ingrained in my brain. I can honestly – I can close my eyes and I can call up the movie and the entire thing just plays behind my eyelids like they're a giant movie screen from start to finish. I first saw Pretty in Pink in 1986 when it opened with my best friend Lisa Callen and we instantly knew we'd seen something special. We knew we'd seen a movie that would live with us and in us forever. And I can still feel how that felt when the movie was over, and we loved it so much. But it wasn't just like that was such a good movie. We knew it was like hot, like next level. Hot white. Hot. It spoke to me on a level I don't think any other movie ever had before, and that's because John Hughes just got what it was like to be seventeen, how you can feel like you don't fit in, um, that feeling kind of of being less than others Mm -hmm. sometimes and even if you were nothing like Andy and I I really wasn't that feeling resonated Um, the whole excitement and confusion of young love it was all so real to me also, playing a huge factor for me was Andy's cool, retro, kind of thrift store granny style, which I just adored, but knew that I could never pull off. Right, her it purple Carmen Gia, you guys, her purple car Carmen Ghia so became my dream car for like the next five years. The music, oh my God, the hilarity of the other iconic misfits, Ducky and Iona, and oh yes, Andrew McCarthy, you guys. <laughs> Andrew McCarthy was my Brat Pack crush. I know you might think it was Rob Lowe because grown up me crushes on him so hard. But when I was 17, Rob Lowe was like too ridiculously perfect um, for me. It felt too (laughs) unattainable to me because I wasn't like that type of girl who, you know, well, first of all, I didn't have a boyfriend. But like that was way out. He was way out of my league to even dream about, to even crush on. But Andrew McCarthy was just right. And Lord, you guys, I swooned. I swooned so hard for him and I want to make it clear though I crushed hard on Andrew McCarthy but interestingly I found then and now lots of fault with Blaine and we're going to talk about that as we get into the movie Uh, right now though I want to know Kristen I want to know about your first experience with this movie. So Pretty in
0: Pink and really all the movies of John Hughes taught me that the suburbs of Chicago were full of snooty rich people with big brick houses, and they listened um, to really good music there. And so I really felt like it was a geography lesson. And my timeline lines up exactly with Pretty in Pink. I was a senior in high school. I was getting ready for the prom. That I didn't get invited to uh, at the exact same time that Andy was. And so I watched it almost with a sense of nostalgia, like this will all be behind me soon. It should have been a really important movie for me, but I left the theater feeling like I'd been slapped in the face. I really did. And we will not talk about exactly why right now. We're going to save that for later but i was so bothered by the end of the movie that i carry a little nugget of confusion and and incredulity in my heart about pretty and pink like what just what just happened <laughs> yeah for this for me this movie is dripping in privilege and pain
1: <laughs> yes well as um you all obviously know my first encounter with the movie was about 4 days ago as we watched it together at Kristen's house. Um, and so, of course, I had to go back and think, why didn't I see this when it came out? Yeah. And it's pretty obvious to me when we say the the time and the date. It was mm-hmm. 1986. So I was in college. We didn't go to the movies when I was in college. And we were going to parties on weekends. I mean, not a lot of, yeah. of us even had cars. And this was – you'd have to drive to the movie theater. But anyway, so I think that was why. And I think also it was kind of a high school movie. And I was like, yeah. you know yeah. – um. A, late junior I was going to be a senior in college it just didn't um it didn't come across my radar so i did not see that movie earlier on so I want to point out when we saw it four days ago, I went into it with midlife progressive glasses on. Yeah, while I that's think that's totally
0: different, um,
1: some some others of us might have gone in with eighties rose colored nostalgia glasses, and mm-hmm. I think that will become apparent mm-hmm. as we talk about the movie, um, because I might have some very unpopular opinions, and I'm going to tell you now putting my right hand up and on a Bible. I promise to not be aggressive as I no doubt will be playing devil's advocate throughout most of this episode. Primarily as I point out that maybe just maybe Blaine was much more of a jerk than Steph ever was. She's
0: going to be
2: the mom. She's going to be the mom. Oh, that just got me. I
1: brought Carolyn.
0: Carolyn, I'm with you.
2: Well, okay. So a quick fact check: Pretty in Pink was released on February 1st, 1986. Um, like I said, I was a junior in high school. Kristen was a senior, and Carolyn apparently was like married. Um, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> she was in college. Um, it was written, of course, by John Hughes and directed by Howard Deutsch. Now. John Hughes, by this, by Pretty and Pink time, he's done Vacation, Mr. Mom, 16 Candles, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, either written or directed, um, produced those movies. After Pretty and Pink, of course, as we know, he'll go on to do some kind of wonderful planes, trains, and automobiles. She's having a baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Home Alone. The list goes on. Mm-hmm. Howard Deutsch directed Pretty in Pink, and it was his directorial <clears throat> debut. Um, previously, he had directed like music videos for Billy Idol and Billy Joel. Um, mm-hmm. He would go on to direct the next John Hughes movie, Some Kind of Wonderful, um, and then The Great Outdoors. But on Some Kind of Wonderful, he would meet his wife, who he's still married to to this day, Leah Thompson, and <gasps> what? their daughters. Oh. One of their well, their daughters are both actresses. You might know Zoe Deutsch. Um, she was in the Netflix series for The Politician, and she was in the cute Netflix rom-com, Set It Up. Um, She is a really cute, um, great young actress. Um, But yeah, it's a little fun fact that Howard Deutch married Leah Thompson. As far as box office, you guys know how movies that become phenomenons and typically have small box office earnings, but then Mm -hmm. they get really popular after they've ended their theatrical run. Not the case for Pretty in Pink. It made $40 million on a $9 million budget. Which wow. is considered small, a small budget. And it was really well received from the start. It hit number one at the box office. And even today, all these years later, it holds a 79% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, that's that's a means it's a quality that's movie, decent. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty, we all look to Rotten Tomatoes, right? It's our barometer. <laughs> I do. I do. How many of those little splats do we see? Brian and I uh-huh. do it all the time. Like, if we're like, yeah. well, I don't know about this movie, check Rotten Tomatoes. So the movie, it's an age old plot, right? The rich boy mm-hmm. and the poor girl love each other, but the rich kids' friends are snobs, and the poor girl is embarrassed about her home and her life, and how dating someone in a different class, like a totally different sphere, is not easy. Yet, yet, they do. They find their happily ever after, because of course they do. But, fun fact, I'm going to tell you all about later, this movie almost did not end this way. This movie was not intended to end this way. Howard Deutsch says he set the whole movie up to not end this way. But it did. And, and I will tell you and why. And I just have
0: to tell you that, and like, we won't say what it is now, but mm-hmm. I did not know that, Michelle, until you told me that <gasps> Are a you kidding? Of days ago. I did not know that. And I have to tell
2: you, I feel so much better. Obviously, I didn't know it until, you know, probably 20 years after, yeah. you know, I saw it. We'll get into why it didn't bother me um, mm-hmm. in a little bit. But listeners, today, we're not going to just retell the story to you. If you're listening to this, we're fairly sure you're a fan of Pretty in Pink and know how the story plays out. So what we're going to do instead is just have an organic reaction chat about the movie we all just rewatched together, as Carolyn said, a few days ago. And you guys, we have no idea where this is going, (laughs) which to be honest, listeners, that's a little uncomfortable for us. And we might jump all over the place. um, But we know you'll hang in there and keep up with us because we know that all of you other than Carolyn, have this movie tattooed (laughs) on your brain, right? So let's get into it. We pan into the Walsh house and Andy is just waking up for the day and she's having to wake up her dad. She says, daddy, it's 730. Daddy, wake up. And right away, their relationship is defined. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about that relationship.
0: That that whole first scene and the relationship in general, but the way she's so maternal with him and she's really like, you've got to get up, you have an appointment at this, I'll get you your coffee, here's your juice, and... I was so uncomfortable with that, and I wondered what's wrong with her dad. Like, is he sick? Uh-huh. I even in my mind, I sort of made up the fact, like, oh, he must be an alcoholic.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what, That's I, what I told too. myself.
0: But they don't really tell you. They they give you sort of a reason for why dad is having a difficult time getting out of bed, but they're not. They weren't explicit enough for me as a teenager, and I was always. Wondering, why is she put into that role? And I need more information.
2: Well, you don't, you don't get it right away. You certainly get it yeah. um, uh, f- uh, through a conversation they'll have towards the end of the movie. But mm-hmm. you, at the beginning, I agree with you, Kristen. I can't know back in 1986 what I thought, but I'm sure that my I went to alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah, what I'm I, sure. and, and not a nice person. So I really appreciate that right away it's established that he's a nice guy. He's a loving
0: person. He's a loving yeah. father. Yes. And he's appreciative of her. Yeah. And Harry Which Dean's, is still kind of weird. Yes. Well, like, Harry Dean Carolin, Yeah, what did you think because
1: yeah. Um yeah, Go. I I loved him. I loved him in this movie. I th- I thought he was probably the best actor to be honest mm-hmm. with you in the whole um in the whole movie. That's great. Yeah. I loved their relationship. I loved that um to overuse a word that's used a lot but he was kind of vulnerable i mean he really was kind of real and he loved her so much i mean you could just tell Mm -hmm. how much he loves her
2: one thing that i have always appreciated in this movie is yes andy has this her the line between daughter wife and mother is blurred for poor andy she carries Mm -hmm. a lot on her shoulders a lot. And I'll talk about later, maybe when we get into why this, the whole premise and the ending of this movie didn't bother me is because in my mind, Andy is such a strong character. She's someone that I I admired for so many different reasons. Not, I mean, one, just that she's so comfortable in her own skin, right? To put that ensemble together and go to school. But man, you guys, she has got it under control. She has that whole morning under control, doesn't she? Yeah,
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, she's had to do it for a long time, I'm sure, because you figure he's been that way ever since his the mom, mom left. Yeah. And I think we learn later, it's been a chunk of time. It's not, not it like been. it was yesterday or last week or it's mm-hmm. been several years. So. And we can assume that maybe he has
0: been not working or in bed since that event happened. Right. And so one of her primary goals is to try to get him God. to get to a job interview. Right. And that's the part that's really hard because – That's where I'm wondering about the mental illness. Was there depression or something like that? Because that's that's the only time their relationship gets contentious is when he doesn't show up for Mm -hmm. a job interview. Mm
2: -hmm. I just respected her so much. And and I don't know if it's because as a child, I had a lot on my shoulders as well. And I saw Mm -hmm. a lot in Andy. I recognized a lot in Andy of myself. You know, I hope
0: I'm not the only in the world that knows what an incredible person
2: you are.
1: Well, at this point in time, I'm afraid you are, honey.
2: Carolyn, what did you yeah. think? What are your first impressions of Ducky Dale?
1: My first impressions of Ducky are just, um, you know, he's kind of eccentric and um, eclectic and he's just um, kind of out there and then annoying. I mean, I'll just start like right to it. Yeah. Um, did I like him? I thought he was entertaining, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the character itself. I think I had to wait till I got into the movie a little bit more. If you're mm-hmm. just talking about first impressions when I first saw him, I was just like, Oh, there's the, you know, what I said, like maybe little <laughs> brother, the good friend, whatever. And they look exactly alike.
0: Yeah. The writing for him is so Good. Yes, Ducky is-, is so clever and he's got this constant patter of funny little things that, you know, funny little observations that he has, which really separates him again from the Richie Rich people. Yep. He's clever in a way that
2: those people can't be clever. Mm-hmm, and right. so to me, Ducky is the sexy one. Oh, for sure. Ducky's also a huge contradiction because if you think about it, he's got that same self-assuredness to be able to wear what Mm -hmm. he wears and the shoes he wears and do his hair like he's straight from the, you know, the nineteen fifties. He's secure enough to be his own person, but he's also his character is written way more insecure than I think than Andy's is, even though they both obviously And his
0: vulnerability is for a very specific purpose, and that's because because he's in love with her. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, that's why we're just skipping all over. Cause well, that's that collapses insecurity. And that brings up a good point. You said, and mm-hmm. because that bedroom scene, it's the classic big sister helping the little brother study for a test. Ducky, pay attention. Ducky, why did you write this down? He's like, I did. Uh-huh. Okay. And that means, you know, and she's like, Ducky, be serious. It's so that mm-hmm. that that dynamic. And then she leaves to go get the juice boxes. And this is when we see Ducky be vulnerable for the very first time.
1: Oh, God. I love this woman. I love this woman, and I have to tell her. And if she laughs, she laughs. And if she doesn't
2: love me, she doesn't love me. But if if I don't find out love her too much. And all of a sudden, he's very vulnerable. Because when when she comes back in, he can't he has to leave, you know, drinking and driving don't mix. That's why I ride a bike. He has to leave all of a sudden, it's the first time we see like he has a heart. He's more than just this funny, um, kind of quirky character who has these funny one liners.
0: Yeah, then that's when we realize that his funny one liners might be nerves.
1: Well, right. But I got to go back to Um, Kristen, your comment a second ago about um, that's why you think Ducky is the sexy one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess if I can bring this stuff up now, if we're going to go forward Mm -hmm. in the movie, I mean, he was the most annoying, stockish-like (laughs) <laughs> little brother that wouldn't just get out of the way no matter how many times she told him. I mean, okay, so we have the scene with the answering machine and he left all of those messages on the answering <laughs> oh, yeah. machine. He's a and little, little obsessed. Do you remember Ducky back in the day, like you only had a certain amount of space on your little tape on the answering mm-hmm. machine. So if somebody keeps calling, 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 then that means other people might not be able to call. It's super annoying. I mean, then he admits mm-hmm. to riding by our house like a hundred times on his bike. <laughs> I, I'm finding that hard to believe for my little Kristen or my little—I shouldn't say for Kristen to think that behavior can be sexy. To some, maybe appealing, it could be I compartmentalize attractive.
0: that a little bit because it could be that I'm really drawn to his um, to his repartee, right? And I'm and I'm putting the and I'm putting the obsessive things over in the closet. Okay. All right. right, I'm pretending that part doesn't exist because the because the way that he speaks and his cleverness is just so he's so thoughtful Mm -hmm. um, and he's able to be so funny in sort of a deep way. And that
2: to me is sexy. I think for me. Between Blaine and Ducky, let's leave, um, how I felt about Andrew McCarthy's looks out of it. Ducky is the character to me that I am more attracted to because it's his sense of humor. Both Andrew McCarthy and,
0: and James Spader. Is that his name, James? Yep. Okay. Did I get it right? They huh? they're wearing these like suits with the T shirts underneath. They're wearing suits to school, and I was like, "Is this what they wear in Chicago?" Right? <laughs> no, and so nobody that- in my school was dressed like that, and it really wreaked so much of privilege in it. So you know, that way, it did its job, but it was really off putting, and and maybe that could be because of where I come from. So that's what I'm bringing with me because I went to a giant school at the time. It was the biggest school in the state, but we didn't really have haves and have nots the way they do in this movie. So my feelings about seeing them in their Miami Vice style would have immediately brought up for me the rivalry between the richy rich suburbs that we had.
2: Well, and that was done so purposefully, I think. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's articles everywhere online about how there is no way stuff. James Spader was a high schooler. It said, Spader is so unbelievable as a high school senior that his performance <laughs> nearly crosses over into farce. And it says, maybe it does. The writers left him no choice. And I think what you said, yeah, I, we didn't have anybody that wore seersucker suits no. and looked like, you know, <laughs> many hedge fund um, guys walking around the our campus. But I feel like that was done very purposefully by the writer, by the by the um, costume people to make this. The whole movie is based on the class difference, so they, they almost want to yeah. shove it in our faces more um, yeah. by making Andy and Ducky dress the way they do, and making Steph and Blaine dress the way they do. It's exaggerated, and I think it's exaggerated on purpose. I don't think they yeah. ever so said we could really we're trying to reflect team. how we're trying to reflect yeah. how real high school kids dress. You have to pick a team. I would say Z- right. the. the there's zero chance they were doing that. I think they were doing it yeah.
1: to to just overemphasize yeah. the class difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. Well, we we brought them up now. So I'd like to see if this is when we could chat a little bit about. Yeah. About stuff. Let's um, do it. Ooh, yeah. Okay, OK. You
0: know OK. I've liked you for four years and you treat me like shit. You know? I don't I don't understand that.
1: Okay. Because I want to go back to the scene where we very first meet him. So that's Mm -hmm. um, kind of at the end of the school day of that very kind of first scene where we're getting introduced to everybody. And I have gone back and watched this scene several times, for a variety of reasons, and not the least of which is James Bader's gorgeous face, but also to really dissect this scene okay Mm -hmm. um because i don't think that he is the complete jerk that everyone wants to say he is in that scene okay so we're going to just dissect it a little bit okay yeah and i'm going to say right now it is not nice when he calls her a bitch but i gotta say she's acting kind of bitchy so this is the first time we see him he's in his car talking to his friends maybe strategically parked right in front of her purple carmen guia he sees her come out of the build out of the school to her car through his rearview mirror very obviously to his friends says to his friends that are there like i got to go i need to you know he's not ashamed that he's going back to talk to her and so at one point i think we all think watching it and particularly as a high schooler that yes maybe he is propositioning her but he says to her i'd like to basically get together and i'm talking i'm talking about more than sex here and she doesn't believe him She's like, no, you're not. Like right mm-hmm. off the bat, he didn't mm-hmm. say anything at all sexual. Um, then he says, "I've liked you for four years, and you tr- you treat me like shit." And let's believe him. Let's not assume anything. Let's believe what the character is telling us. I think a lot of people maybe make some assumptions that he's teased her, he's pinched her butt for four years, whatever. We don't know any of that. He said he's liked her for four years, and. It makes he makes it sound like she's been this kind of standoff and standoffish, assumed the worst about him just because he was rich. And he says to her, I've been with a lot of girls in the school and I don't see what makes you so different. That is his line. Mm-hmm. I don't see what makes you so different. You act like you're all different because maybe this class thing, whatever, but I don't, basically, if we're taking him at his word, I don't see what makes you so different. Um, and then she comes back with, because I have taste. And it's in this (laughs) moment that you can see Steph is kind of hurt. Okay, if you're staring at James Spader, like I was staring at James Spader, he's kind of hurt. What do we do as humans oftentimes when we get hurt? We want to hurt someone right back. We want to give them some pain. And that's when he calls her a bitch. And Mm -hmm. that's when he, in my opinion... Was hurt and kind of a little sad. Okay, this is so interesting,
0: Carolyn, because I'm now seeing that there's a big difference between we all take in different messages, right? It's like, what things are we paying attention to? You reading those words, it's like, I was not paying attention to his words. I was only paying attention to his aura or his being and Mm -hmm. the way and his stance and so like the way that he approaches her and he gets in her face and he sort of overpowers her by leaning on his car and you know in that way when people are trying to um they're trying to be a big man and when that happens to me i immediately my defenses go up and i would act like andy i'm not listening to those words at all and you're right those words are a person who is I mean, we could have a whole different version of this movie if it comes from the fact that he's liked her for four years. And right? then why does he, at the end of the movie, why is she the enemy and why does he say that she's
2: trash? Is it all is it because oh, he's a he... dick or is it because he's rejected? His ego couldn't take it. You know mm-hmm. from the beginning that, but at the very end, Blaine says, um, you couldn't buy her though. That's what's killing you, isn't it, Steph? That's it, Steph. Yeah, yeah. She thinks you're shit, and deep down you know she's right. I just feel like if you watch that first scene, you absolutely mm-hmm. would feel that. Oh, we liked her for four years. That's kind of sad. They make him the way he's dressed, the way they want you to know right away who he is. Um, but by the time you get to the end, you see that. You have a ton of evidence that that's how he treats everybody and everything. He treats Blaine like shit, lots of quotes to support that. He treats Benny like shit when he just had sex with her. He tells her she's worthless. Um, He treats school like shit. He's not in class when he's supposed to be. He treats his parents' house like shit because he's like, why would I treat my parents' house like this if money meant anything to me? Um, At the end, he gives his best friend an ultimatum and says, if you're going to date her, you're losing me as a friend, basically. So that's why I have zero empathy for stuff. And I feel... Like he's a big dick. Certainly though, if you go back and say, wow, he liked this girl for four years and she didn't like him, that's sad, but it doesn't make me have any sympathy for him.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say I don't think he, he is a jerk. He does tons of jerky things in the movie. So I'm not trying to excuse any of that. But I also um think some of those scenes that you brought up, I don't think he's necessarily being as jerky as we think he is. And I'd like to propose a theory here. If he's liked her for four years, and he is really good friends with Blaine, do we not maybe think that Blaine knows that Steph? He does know. But could Blaine perhaps have known from the beginning that Steph had feelings for... I mean, we're. we're I don't think so because
2: he asks what her name. He asks. He says, "Who were you talking to out there when he's out on the smoking patio?" And Blaine looks at him, and he's like, "Why do you want to know?" So, like, uh, um, Steph has acted to Blaine this whole time. Like, he doesn't know who Andy is.
0: I think what we know. I think what this is really. This is this is giving a lot more stock to the movie because I think what we're dealing with here is that we have a much more nuanced character than we think because we have a person who is rejected who cannot divorce himself from his privilege. The privilege has turned him into a monster. But that doesn't mean that he's not a human being. And to your point, Michelle... That doesn't mean that you forgive him, but it means you look at him with a much bigger brush, right? It's a, Maybe. There's, there's far more nuance here than we thought. It doesn't right. give him any license to be the asshole totally. that he right.
1: is. But I think like you just explained, um, you just said it, Kristen, it's this privilege. Like he doesn't know how to deal with some of this pain. I mean, you said it in the very beginning, you, you said no this idea. movie is about privilege and pain and I could Mm -hmm. not agree more. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, from the fact that he has all these parties at his parents, his parents are never home. Okay, right. Uh -uh. Um, And he's gotten kind of everything he's wanted. I'm sure they've just thrown money at him and whatever, you know, to make him feel better. And so he's used to getting what he wants, doesn't know maybe how to deal with um, not getting what he wants. And Again, when he, I think, is feeling pain, his immediate reaction is to make others feel pain. That's kind oh, of what his and you he, he your does power. that very yeah. well. Unfortunately, yeah. um, and that's where the jerk part is apparent a hundred percent. And honestly, any of us, if you think, well, I'm, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes when someone hurts me, I immediately want to respond with a way to hurt them. So
0: you fl- you fling, yeah, you you.
2: I never mind, because I can't think of what that yeah. word is. Well, I think, think it. Oh, go ahead. I think it's indisputable that anytime in any movie you see someone who's a bully. It's coming from a place of pain, for sure. There's a reason behind it. Anytime Mm -hmm. that's in a movie or in real life, um, anybody that's bullying someone or saying mean things to someone, that's coming from a place of pain. They have some. They have some shit to work out.
0: What that means is that this is. We think of this as a love story. This movie is being a love story between Blaine and Andy. And really, what this is is a movie about Andy and Steph, and really Ducky, right? Mm -hmm. And and Blaine is almost.
1: Blaine is reduced is a reduced character. Honestly, I think we know more about Steph's character and Andy's character are the two we know the most about in this oh, entire Oh yeah, you know
2: nothing God, about you're Blaine. Right. We know nothing we don't about anything
1: about right. Blaine, uh-uh. but we know Oh, that's so interesting. Um, the, the the
2: biggest insight we get on Blaine is when Steph is giving they're in Steph's office and he's giving him that ultimatum and Steph's he says office. your parents it was office. It his office. <laughs> or it well, he, he was his, dad at his dad's, dad's office. It looks like it's his yeah. it looks like And he's yeah, he's well, sitting his at a dad's big desk. His parents are never there. In his robe. Right, uh-huh. right, right. So he's basically saying, um, um, he says, when Bill and Joyce get through with you, you won't know whether to shit or go sailing. It's the only time oh we get God. any insight into Blaine's life at all. I'm really sorry for bumming
1: out the night for you.
0: Didn't bum out anything. I had a great time. A liar. I was with you. I had a great time. If I was in a Turkish prison, I'd have a great time with you. I don't know. It's just... It's too weird for me, you know?
2: Maybe it shouldn't happen.
0: What, you and me? Well,
2: you know, maybe it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't mean it isn't right, right? It's a terrible date all the way around. Um, he, he starts out the date by insulting her, by saying, do you want to go home and change? And she says, right. I already did. And he doesn't then say, oh, my God, I was joking. You look great. You look." He just chuckles. When she says, I already did, he doesn't at all come back with a compliment about her blue dress and her little cute sweater. He just keeps walking. He's tossing his keys in the air, Um, wants her to go to a party that she does not want to go to. He makes her go to the party. They go to the party. They get stuck in the room. He doesn't immediately leave when she's being bullied so viciously by Benny. Benny's calling him terrible words, terrible slurs. Mm -hmm. He sits there and takes it. So we know a lot about his character from that scene. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible date. They go to the club. Ducky almost punches Blaine. It's a terrible, terrible date. And then he says, want to make you feel better if I ask you to prom? And she goes nuts. That's when I lose respect for Andy. Yeah, okay,
1: that's a good point. That she doesn't say no. I want to go back to the date. I want to just make a couple points with you guys. One is when he gets there, if you remember, he... He walks her through like the entire first floor of that house. And, you know, everyone's looking up and down and kind of like, why is he here with her? Whether he's showing her off or whether he's looking for stuff to say, oh, look who I have brought with me. Then all of a sudden he wants to go upstairs. That's when I was like, you don't ask some, You maybe say, let's go outside and talk. Or do mm-hmm. you want to ditch yeah. this place? Ups- we know
0: the what upstairs, upstairs means. We, yeah.
1: we know that. Or in my thought of him wanting to make Steph mad... They go upstairs. Of all the rooms they go to, they go to the room that Steph is in. Like, that's bizarre. They don't leave when they open the door and see he's that's half-dressed. That's all weird. Yes. I feel like there's something there. That's weird. When mm-hmm. it's almost like, I have I got her, you didn't, and I want to make sure you saw it. Because if they had left, Steph mm. would have never seen her. And yes, I... And Michelle, you you did let me interrupt you before and just say that James Spader was kind of the nice guy in that situation in terms of telling um, Benny to be quiet and then finally dragging her out like you need to whatever i forget he said i mean he's he's definitely i guess if
2: i guess if you think being nice is saying "Oh, let's go get you some ribs i'm gonna take you to throw up that's that's how he tells her to stop talking he tells her we need to get you something to eat we need to get you some ribs
1: but at the same time he the reason i guess he was being a jerk towards her was because she was being a jerk towards andy and wanted to escort her out he didn't let he didn't glom on when she was being bitchy to um either of them i mean he didn't say Mm -hmm. yeah whatever i just Yeah but when she calls his, his best friend
2: a faggot he doesn't say he just says let's go he doesn't turn to her and, no, and he doesn't that, at that you know Mm-mm. so
0: but really Blaine I mean these two guys are in good company right oh, it's yeah. hard to say who's the worst of the two because Blaine takes Andy to this party despite the fact that she has overtly said no mm. so many times so many no, times no 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 and he just pushes come on come on I mean you can see the metaphor very clearly mm-hmm. like just take off your Underwear. I actually don't think he was trying to no, take her upstairs he to have sex with her. Mm-hmm. I don't think that. I think he was being stupid and I think he was being entitled and he wanted to, ha- he was going to the place where he was comfortable. This oh, is for sure. His turf, right? And she is saying, please don't do this. Please don't make me do mm-hmm. this. And he's almost coercing her into going to this party where the minute they walk in, the eyes upon her, she, it's overt how people feel about her. It's not fun, to your point. Michelle. It's not fun at all. And then he's like, come on, let's go upstairs again. How many times does she say no? Yeah. And he just keeps pushing. It's classic 1980s rapey boy behavior. Oh, it's Despite classic. John His Hughes. intention is not to rape her. Classic that's That's not Hughes, his intention. Yeah. But I'm like, dude, listen to the words coming out of her mouth. And mm-hmm. so then the fact that at the end of the night, she wants to go to prom with him. I'm with you, Michelle. I'm like, what are you yeah.
2: doing? This guy's a Dick. Well, I think it's to. I think it's also to illustrate um, the whole. Don't forget the movie. The movie Pretty in Pink was written because Molly Ringwald liked this song. When they were filming Breakfast Club, she was playing it. John Hughes heard it, wanted to write a movie Pretty in Pink, and he wrote the the um, character of Andy for Molly Ringwald. It's going to culminate at prom. So we need a way. We need a way to make prom a really big mm-hmm. deal, right? We're making mm-hmm. this movie about prom that's going to be a really big deal. So I think this is just illustrating, too, how big of a deal this prom is to Andy. It's a really mm-hmm. big deal to her. And it's also a little out of character that prom would be that big of a deal to her. Yeah, I it think is right. you mm-hmm. don't you, from oh, the yeah. beginning, you don't necessarily think that she's the type of girly girl who's really going to get all jazzed about going to prom. But then you also kind of think, well, maybe she doesn't like it. Maybe there's something... She does like in him. I mean that—that that we're not seeing.
1: Because my only future plans are to make sure that she's taken care of. That's nice of you, Phil. <clears throat> and I'd like to marry her.
2: I really don't want to lose time to talk about the pain of Ducky because yeah, we're going to switch gears a little bit because um, Ducky is is in Ducky Ducky Dale to me is the movie Pretty in Pink. This. Yeah. It is him that makes this movie for me. It is him from the very first time I saw it. This movie was a movie um, pretty much with John Cryer and Molly Ringwald and Andrew <laughs> McCarthy, who I thought was cute and was on my wall. It was always about the relationship between Andy and Ducky and just the character of Andy. And we've talked a little bit about the brother-sister dynamic, but I want to talk about the scene in tracks, the Try a Little Tenderness scene. Yeah. Because um, to me, this is is my favorite scene in the movie. It's the most important scene in the movie between Andy and Ducky's relationship. And um, I would argue that it's probably one of the I would say it's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. So just to set it up, Andy's waiting for Blaine to pick her up at seven. Earlier in the day, she's gotten sent to the principal's office at gym. Um, Ducky comes flying out of homeck, you know? Andy, are you okay? Are you okay? Okay, I left home for you. And he's like, Okay. He's like, I'm gonna take you away this weekend. Do you fish (laughs) you know? And he's um he wants to take her away and he's like, I'll pick you up at seven and she's just sort of that annoying little brother. She does not say, No, Ducky, I have a date with Blaine. Sure. Probably obvious reasons, right? He doesn't hear that because he's, you know, persistent. So she's sitting waiting and she's at tracks. And this is when um, Ducky comes sliding in. Um, and this is the Try a Little Tenderness um serenade, um, is what I like to think of it as, but it's basically him lip syncing it. Fun facts, you guys, John Cryer worked with Kenny Ortega um on the choreography oh, of this oh my scene. God, you're and this would have been right before Dirty Dancing. And then of course he went on to do high school musical oh. and other things. But um I wanna read you this from an article I found. I love this. Um John john Cryer said this is just you know a few years ago when it was the 30th anniversary they it was everywhere so there's tons of articles you can find and i'm going to post some of these in the weekly reader this week but john Cryer says i'm not a dancer obviously crier jokes while watching ducky dance and lip sync to try a <laughs> little tenderness by otis redding but it was funny because when i showed the director what i wanted to do in the scene they cleared the shop and i had performed it full out and he didn't say anything afterwards Turns out, Howard Deutsch's blank expression was hiding his irritation. Cryer's dance was so good that Deutsch realized they'd have to extend production to capture it in all its glory. Oh, no. oh. We lost a whole day in the schedule in the very oh, first God. week, Cryer says. Because when he saw it, he's like, oh, this is of great. We're using it. this, right? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, obviously, he comes in. He serenades her. I just have to say, that scene in the movie is pretty in pink
0: for me. Yeah, Ducky serenading Andy with Otis Redding. Is pretty
2: in pink. It's so good, you guys. I'm going to put that whole scene in the weekly reader. And then we're going to go all the way into the fight. Because the fight for me Mm -hmm. is what we're about to talk about. So we're going to fast forward a little bit through that great um, scene to um, the point when Andy's in the bathroom. Ducky doesn't know why she's so upset. I know saying, don't waste good lip gloss, sweetie. Um, So she says. Because Blaine has not shown up. Yeah. Right, right. She's being stood up. Mm -hmm. And then he says, that's what I'm about to say. Yep. She says she got stood up twerp to Ducky. And Ducky's like looking around like, wait. What you? I'm here. You know, like, I'm here. And then Blaine shows up. And you guys, Ducky's face falls. John Cryer, this is a brilliant piece of acting by John Cryer. He's been goofy. He's done the Try a Little Tenderness. He's so excited. He's like, let's blow this popsicle stand. Let's go. And then he just goes, "Um, Andy? And his face goes through so many degrees yeah. of pain. It's not even funny. He realizes she's going out with Blaine. And you guys, it's It's so much more about her going out with a Richie than it is about her going out with somebody who's not Ducky. Because he says, you know they shit on everybody, including you. And she says, I'm not going to let them shit on me. And he says, he's going to use your ass and throw you away. I would have died for you. I would have died for you, he says. When he first says, wait, wait, what? You're going to go out with this guy? Is this a date or something? And then he walks away. And then after he says, I would I would have died for you. He says this. I'm not
1: particularly concerned with whether or not you like me. Because I live to like you and 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 I can't like you anymore. Kills me. Mm-hmm.
2: And so this is a huge division right now between Andy yeah. and, and Andy and Ducky's relationship. Because after this, this is when we're gonna sort of fast forward. We're gonna see all of the um Andy going through all the stuff with Blaine now. But yet Throughout the rest of the movie, we're going to see little glimpses of Ducky's pain, whether that's yeah. him still riding his bike by her house a whole bunch of times. I love that part. God, that makes me laugh. And when he's just sitting on his bed and, oh, my God, that scene, you really get his life. You know, you see his home yeah. life. You see mm-hmm. where he
0: lives. I think that sometimes people try to make this movie into um, – Uh, That there that there is equal disdain on both sides that, you know, you can't judge the poor people for being poor and you can't judge the rich people for being rich. But I'm not buying that because this is not an equal playing field. Mm -mm. Right. The richy Richies, they hold all of the power. Mm -hmm. They have a whole team of richy Riches who will be mean to the people who they believe are lesser. Ducky is a team of one. He has no team, little duck and man. yet he still fights. He still fights with no backup whatsoever, and he knows he can't win, but he fights nonetheless, and their disapproval is not equal because Steph disapproves – well, we can add Carolyn's argument into this too, but on the surface anyway, Steph disapproves of Andy – because she's trash, Benny disapproves of Andy because she's trash. We could also say Steph disapproves because he's feeling rejected. But the group as a whole disapproves of them mm-hmm. because they're trash. Whereas Ducky disapproves of Blaine because number one, he's in love with her, but number two, because he's afraid of what Blaine will do to her. He is. He says he's, he's afraid he's, yeah. that that she'll be destroyed, that he'll be cruel to her, which he is. Right. <laughs> so Ducky is right. So it's not a a both and. Good people on both sides <laughs> situation, which I think was their intention a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. we can't
2: judge each other this way. They try to prove that point by having Andy say, I'm probably going to get it a little bit wrong. I'm going to go off my memory. But when in that argument, mm-hmm. she's yelling at Ducky and she says, If I don't like him, if I don't, if we don't like them because they have money, it's the same thing as them not liking right. us because we don't. She's trying to say that. And he's, yes, exactly, Kristen. Mm-hmm. She says that right after he says, You know, they shit on everybody, including you. And that's when she says, I'm not going to let them. He's trying to, though, say, but are you seeing what like basically yes. what they've been doing? I mean, yes. even look at the teachers, mm-hmm. look at, look at how John Hughes wrote it. And, and again, I do think that um, so much of this from the wardrobe to the situations they put them in to um, yes, Blaine being a dick to her and the party and all this stuff. I think it was a, I think it was very exaggerated and I think mm-hmm. it was done on purpose. I think it was very mm-hmm. intentional for us to see this whole trope storyline. Um, yeah. And it's a movie, right? It's not there. It's, it's, at the end of the day it's a movie it's that's it's it's just a movie even in all the classroom scenes from um from the math class to are they was it math or history to the gym scene the teachers are going to side with Benny and with her friends that's the right. teachers Always. are Andy's the one that's getting in trouble mm-hmm. so we're seeing that it's not just the kids that that are against these people are thinking they're trash even the principal because he says you're lucky to get an education like this and she's like I know I'm lucky he's like that's not what I mean basically yeah. you know
1: but one thing, um, so I do just want to point out, to, um, as we're discussing this movie, that these were teenage. I mean, they're supposed to be. The characters are yeah. <laughs> teenagers. I mean, honestly, some of the things that we you guys had said before, well, I don't know why she does that. I don't know why she went upstairs. I'm over here raising my hand going, oh, good, I would yes. have gone upstairs. You're right. You're right. Um, and I yeah. probably would, too. I probably and would, too. I think, and she didn't want to, though. I know. I wouldn't have wanted to, either.
2: But you I would pressured. have done it.
1: And I guess maybe I'm talking about the prom part where you got, you were like I, in disbelief that she would have said yes to go to the prom with him where I'm thinking I, I might have said yes. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, and these supposedly these characters, I know we think James Bader is 35 when he's doing it, but <laughs> they're supposed to be, you know, teenagers 18. who's right, yeah, right. frontal, low, you know, all that good stuff is not developed. They're doing – teenager kind of jerky things and i don't want to speak for you guys but we had you know those jerks in my high. i mean i think it was a common this behavior was not that out of character for what a Mm -hmm. teenager well he's portraying
0: it for a reason right Right. he's portraying it to show and i think that the the enduring legacy of john hughes's work is that he got high school right right Mm -hmm. he portrayed whether it was exaggerated or not he got the dynamic right that basically we're tribal beings and we're going to find our people. We're going to find our teams. And in order to, for your team, your team has to win. And in order for your team to win, you have to shit on the other team.
2: And in a movie situation like this, you have to exaggerate it. If he actually portrayed high school as your high school, your high school, my high school, it'd be boring to watch. You Mm -hmm. have to exaggerate it. You have to make it amplified, right? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to make all the groups, the Richies, the the jocks, the nerds, the goths, the theater kids. Mm -hmm. In every movie, they're exaggerated. They -hmm. they Mm -hmm. just are. Um, I don't know that you could go to any high school and it's exactly like you see in the movies, but you have to exaggerate it so that we all get it. We all yeah. understand it. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was not at all in disbelief that she agreed to go to prom with him. I said, I lost respect for her that she did. Yeah. I absolutely got her a She thought he was so yeah. cute. He did that library, you know, the scene of the, I mean, he did really cute things for her. I just lost respect that after he treated her, after he didn't defend her at that party and he made her go to the party one. Well, first yeah. of all, I insulted her clothes, made her go to the party, didn't get her out of the party that she would still say yes. Kudos to Andy. When, When it comes
0: time, I think they're trying to show that, okay, first we're going to be on Blaine's turf at this party that now we're going to go to Andy's turf and they're going to get shit on on Andy's turf. But again, the playing field is not level because they go to the club. Where there's a band playing, and that's neutral territory. That's not where all of her people are going to be. Remember, Ducky can't get into the club usually. So they don't know (laughs) Ducky's going to be there. When they arrive and Ducky is there, and Ducky starts peeing a dick because he's there with Andy. So he's feeling hurt. Instead of like Blaine's kind of like mumble, mumble, stop saying mean things stuff, (laughs) Andy is full throated in her defense of Blaine. And they leave. Immediately, instead of sitting there on the couch That's in the
2: bedroom. Great point. All right, everybody, we're getting to prom because okay, okay, in the interest of time. So, um, one thing I always wondered, even in 1986. Well, first of all, because we can't not mention it. We're going to mention this super quick and then move on. The dress is hideous. The dress is yeah. hideous. <laughs> Molly Ringwald cried when the costumer showed her the dress in, in real life. She said the sketch they had shown her, what the dress was going to look like. She loved it. If you look at the dresses that she was given to make that dress out of, and that's what she came up with. Okay, I will say I. it's not that I liked the dress. I thought the dress was cool. I didn't like it because it was pink,
0: but I thought the dress was I just cool. – it
2: was a – she called it – God, I wish I could remember what she called it. An upside-down triangle. That's what she called it. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say is um, the fact that she's going to go by herself, we get – this is the rallying cry of this movie. This is the most famous line Blaine in this movie that almost – She says – uh she dad finds out she's going, he's like, What time is he gonna be here to pick you up? Kinda odd that she hasn't told dad that um that that, mm, that she's that. not going. But he yeah. she's like, She's he's not, and he's like, But you're still going. And she says, I just want to let them know that they didn't break me. Yeah. And that that's the Andy that we see from the very beginning. That's the Andy that's carrying mm-hmm. the weight of the world on her shoulders, but she's so self confident and so self assured. So she's back. So we're like, hooray, mm-hmm. yay, team Andy, right? Yeah, I'm not sad about it. I'm not hurt.
0: I mean, you know, I am hurt a little bit, but I know if I don't do it, I'll just feel a lot worse. I'm just going to go in, walk in,
2: walk out and come home.
0: You sure? I just want to let them know that
2: you didn't break me. Okay. So you guys, original ending was that Blaine is not at prom and Ducky shows up. She sees him. They come toward each other. He lifts her up. The movie ends with him lifting her off her feet and spinning her around. That's the original ending of the movie. That's how the movie was written. That's how it was shot. That's how it went to screenings. During one of the first screenings, when the ending came and Ducky and Andy ended up together, the entire crowd booed. Some of them even got up to leave. And Howard Deutsch, the director who's sitting in the theater, says he couldn't believe it. He said the whole movie was built to have John end up with Molly. The whole movie was built to show that true love triumphs. Now, I have a problem with that because, yes, Ducky truly loved Andy, but I never for once got that Andy would reciprocate that love. For a Ducky. I don't think it's impossible. I think it could have happened but had we need we seen, no more time. But we needed yeah. to see that, right? Yeah. So they had to reshoot. So they bring Blaine back in. Now, uh, Andrew McCarthy, meanwhile, is already shooting another movie or it's something where his head is shaved. So they put this awful wig. All of them in the cast ha- agree. It's so it's bad. It's a terrible wig. It's, it's darker so than his real bad. hair. When
0: I first saw it, I was like, what happened to him? I knew something was I wrong I just with thought him.
1: he had not slept for days. And it was like all matted. I mean, I truly it <laughs> yes. totally fit the it's character yes. for me. It's I'd like had Kendall no, hair. I had no yes. um, qualms with yes. it. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, and they have him say. So this obviously was Written after the crowd booze and they have to rewrite, they have him walk up to her. They have him say, You said you couldn't be with someone who didn't believe in you. Well, I believed in you. I just didn't believe in me. Had they ended it right there, I would have bought it. But then they have him say, I guess to just make oh. us really believe it. And this is exactly how he says it. I'm going to say, I wish you could, maybe I'll put this on YouTube. I wish mm-hmm. I could do it how he does it. He goes, He leans forward and he goes, Well, you guys, I'm just, such a <laughs> lips not moving. Like he's a ventriloquist. Yeah. He goes, Yeah, I loved you. I loved you. Always. I love you. Always. <laughs> and he has zero expression on his face. Had he just ended at you guys with, I just yes. didn't believe in me. Yes. You're like, okay, then we forgive you because now yeah. it's prompt.
1: Well, I'm gonna backtrack a little. I think that the original way it was written. I would not have bought the romance of Ducky and Andy. I think it almost should have been yeah. just this the friendship part, the part where he okay. knows. The,
0: that is what endures. Yes, yes. Why yeah, that be that's it? that's the winner. Why yes. not? Mm-hmm. Exactly. There when Ducky appears, so Andy is walking into the prom alone and Ducky appears at the top of the stairs. And I'm crying. I got goosebumps. Right? You saying that. I'm crying. It. Yes. It's such a beautiful movie moment. It's a classic movie <sighs> moment. That's movie history. And it gets stolen away. Yeah. When Blaine comes over and does his weird mumbly shit with his full on entitlement, right? He comes over and his over terrible with his hair and his bad wig and. And he just feels like he can take what he deserves and Ducky is disenfranchised once to get once again. They could have capitalized on that Ducky moment by just having him be there for her. See? Right. I yes. am here for you.
2: It could have, been over, are, yeah, right. it could have been over then. Yeah, it could've been over. Kristen, that illustrates that I just need to let them show they didn't break me. He's doing yes, the same yes, thing. Yes, he shows right. up at prom. So, like, almost like I want Andy to see she didn't break me. Yeah. Not in a right. mean, nasty way, but, no, like, right. you know what? Friendship unite. It breaks the whole the whole rallying cry
0: of I, do, I don't want does. them to see and that then... they break me. It ruins that whole concept. And she turns around and goes
1: to the guy who tried to break her. Right. Because and he says he... he loves her. Yeah. And then there's that look with the blonde on the dance floor. I hate, you know, that, I'd I'd hate that part. Yeah. It was like, I hate it. It's so dumb.
2: Also, you'll be pleased to know John Cryer hated the rewrite. One, because John Cryer was super happy with the original because he was like, "I got the girl, I got yeah, the girl," yeah, right. right? And he hated yeah. the rewrite. Also, because mm-hmm. they make him say, like I just said a minute ago, when they obviously they had a write in script for Blaine mm-hmm. where he's does the 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 nice one, but then he has to end it with the "I love you" always. And then they make <laughs> they make Ducky say, "He came here alone, Andy." Like, yeah, no, defeated, no. like you like, go for it. he says basically Mm-mm. no, he goes, go, like he tells her to go. He tells yeah. her to go follow him. He came here alone, Andy, go follow him. So well, as much me, as I love he, a good romance, loved her
1: so much that he was willing yeah. to let her go yes. like that. That's the kind of vibe I, I got. I thought that was
0: well. I think that's what was the, that was the right. intention. Yeah, that was the intention. But the they had so many mixed messages, and I think that's why I left that movie being kind of incredulous yeah. and feeling like that was yeah. the wrong ending, and having no idea that there was another ending that would have satisfied me more. Even though I wasn't falling for would the it romance have, piece, would it of have it? satisfied you more. Oh,
2: yeah,
0: m- way for more for her, her to end up with. I wouldn't yeah, be angry. But, but would you have been like, no, she doesn't like Ducky like that? I may have been like, huh. But I would have been because of the movie moment when he comes out and she's like, he's there for me. And I maybe would have. Yeah. Here's what I would have done. I can oh. tell you. I would have compartmentalized it. Mm-hmm. I would have said the lifting up in the air and the turning around in a circle would have been that they're they're there for each other. Right. And I would have pretended that it wasn't a romance. That's I think what you I would could you
1: could have. I think they could yeah. have left that open to interpretation. Let's do mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Let's have a pop culture
2: preservation society rewrite of the ending yeah. of Pretty in Pink because I think all three of us are in agreement yeah. that it should have ended with the strong lifelong friendship. Right. Without yes. Blaine, yes. even there, Blaine needed well, to know, be not I even. Think there. Blaine, no, I that. want yeah. Blaine there. Oh, I you want do. Blaine there.
0: I do. I want him to be in there. Be there, and I want him to be alone, and I want him to be sad, and I want him even to come over. And you could still do the thing about. I think that line is important. About I always believe yeah. in you. Yeah. I just didn't believe in me. And then she could say. I'm happy for you, Blaine. Now, why don't you take your newfound knowledge and go be a better person?
1: Yes, I would have liked for them maybe to not even have walked into the prom. It's like seeing each other in the hallway. They go get burgers. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. They see each other in the hallway. They go and then they go running out to another like, yes, yes, that would be awesome. Love it. Oh, you guys. All right. Well, that's it. That's a wrap. We did it. We fixed it.
0: Let's talk about the soundtrack for a little bit. Yeah. I bonded with the soundtrack, I think, more than I bonded with the movie. Huh. You know, per what you heard in in the discussion, where I was just really angry at the end, and it really, it, the movie hurt my feelings. So... This added I think the, the soundtrack really gave added context to the story. It was memorable music. It was modern music that cool kids would listen to. Mm-hmm. The psychedelic furs, OMD, Echo and the Bunnymen, the Smiths. This was music that I was kind of growing into at the time. It was aspirational music for me. And Rolling Stone included it in their list of the twenty five greatest soundtracks of all time. It's at number it's at number eleven. Wow. Oh, wow. That's great. And people often wonder, like, what came first? Did the song come first or the movie? So, when you have an eponymous song, Pretty in Pink, the movie is called Pretty in Pink, the song is called Pretty in Pink, you often assume that they created a theme song for the movie. But the opposite is actually true here. John Hughes was inspired by the song Pretty in Pink, which came out um, in 1981 by the Psychedelic Furs, and he wrote a movie to go along with it. They did re record the song to give it more of a pop radio friendly vibe. But here's what I find interesting. It sounds like John Hughes wrote a movie based on a misinterpretation of the song. So what John Hughes heard was a song about a young girl who was dressed in pink, looking beautiful, possibly for the prom. (laughs) But here's what the lead singer of Psychedelic Furs says about the song. The song is about a girl who sleeps around a lot and thinks that she's popular because of it. It makes her feel empowered somehow and popular. And in fact, the people she's sleeping with are laughing at her behind her back and talking about her. That's what the song Pretty in Pink is about. And instead of the phrase Pretty in Pink referring to a lovely girl dressed for the prom, Pretty in Pink is actually a metaphor for being naked. Oh, really? Oh, my. god. Yes. Yes. My. Oopsie. And it sounds like the lead singer of the Psychedelic Furs are like, dude, it doesn't match. So, and after <laughs> after the movie came out, people started using the term "pretty in pink." Like this became part of the lexicon. You'd see it in the Seventeen um, prom issue. You would see it in fashion yeah. magazines. Yeah. And this freaked them out a little bit because both because it felt so wrong, because what they intended <sighs> the phrase to mean, and because they're like, oh my god, we coined a phrase that is now a part of our lexicon. Like that's our legacy. So the soundtrack worked anyway, despite the fact that it yeah. did, it was misinterpreted. And it's become a total classic of our generation. The film also has a couple of songs that aren't included on the soundtrack, which is kind of sad. But if you go look for a playlist mm-hmm. on Spotify or Apple Music, it will include these songs. Most importantly, Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness. That scene with Ducky in the record store where he's serenading Andy and Iona, and it's not on the soundtrack. They didn't get licensed to use it on the soundtrack, which is really sad, but it is sad. now we have Spotify mm-hmm. um also cherished by the association. that was not on the
2: soundtrack, mm-hmm. but bananas. yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite song on the soundtrack, guys?
1: I'm embarrassed to say I don't know the soundtrack. I thought there was like one song which was um our our very last song Tell me mm, what if it you is. leave.
0: If you yeah, leave. if you leave well, and that's the oh, song that that's that. a bigger hit. Actually, that's the song that more people associate with the movie. If you leave by OMD, that's the song yeah. that people think of when they think of brilliant right. pink. So that's really not all the psychedelic I think furs. Of.
2: Yeah, it's such a great um, song, though. I mean, that's not yeah. a that's not a bad answer. My favorite is "Wouldn't It Be Good," and they only play it yeah. when they're they only play the and you hear it in the background, the first track scene, um, mm-hmm. and you hear the na, 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 as you're as you're mm-hmm. you know you're kind of focusing in on tracks, and then it's in the background, and I- Iona's going around with a staple gun and stuff, and you can hear it in the back. But that's the song I wore out on my cassette. I
0: love I love love good love that to song. Be on your side? And oh, it's not – and it's done by not the original artist. Who is the original artist? Well, Nick Kershaw. Nick Kershaw. But Danny Hutton Hatton Hatton.
2: Hitters or something like that did it on the um, – Yeah, he's the lead yeah. singer of Three Dog Night. Oh, that's so, interesting.
0: Yeah. I know that's a weird pairing to me, but it but it works. It sounds like a – it doesn't sound like a late 60s no. rant. It sounds like a 1980s new wave hit.
2: yeah. Yeah, bring on the dancing horses. That's such a good mm-hmm. one too.
0: Bring on the, the dancing, dancing horses. horses.
2: That's Echo Whether and the Bunnymen. They may roll, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. share the world with every the you've mm-hmm. heard. So this is what
1: it looks like.
2: This is great. Hey, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait,
1: wait. You got doors on the stalls. They're not stuck. Wait a minute. We don't have none of this stuff in the boys. Wait a minute. We don't got none of this. stuff. We don't got doors on the stalls in the boys' room. We don't have – what is this? What? We don't have a kid machine in the boys' room. We don't got
2: none of that. None of that. I'm sorry. No, I want the principal here. I want him here this instant. Now. Well, let's get to um, a few of the quotes that have set up shop in our brains mm-hmm. since 1986. Most of them, not surprisingly, came out of um, Ducky Dale's mouth, which is just further evidence that he may be one of the most iconic movie characters ever mm-hmm. um some of them that i love may i admire you again today he says <laughs> um and then he says hey you want beauty look in the mirror um God, he says, and then and you can't say i'm off like a dirty shirt unless you go like this I'm off like a dirty shirt. It's when he's yeah. talking mm-hmm. to Jack outside, and yeah. he's telling mm-hmm. he's telling Jack that he's going to take care of Andy. He's going the physical the physical humor. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. It's well, so good. He's it's such a Funny. Master. You should say that because my next quote by Ducky is that's called a sense of humor. You should get one. They're nice. That's how he says it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love. um, And he says it just like that. There's so many. And just some of Mm -hmm. his quips, like when, you know, um, she asks him if he wants anything to drink and he's like, oh, you know, beer, scotch, juice box. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: So uh, my favorite one that I will say a lot, even though my kids don't, um, well, have still refused to watch the movie because how much I love it. um, And now my husband's like, you don't want them to watch the movie because they won't like it as much as yeah, you do and, it and they sad. won't get yeah. it and then I'll mm-hmm. be like, "Yeah." anyway, Iona she, at the beginning when she's like, applause applause, applause when she's stapling the stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I love when she grabs Andy's face and she, goes, and she goes and she says it in a baby voice and she goes be kind to the duck man
0: and she grabs yes. her cheeks, so cute I felt that, I felt like Iona was being the the grown up and she's
2: trying to very gently mother Andy. And she does her mouth mm-hmm. like this and she goes be kind yes. to the duck man. Another thing I say all the time is, "I'm um, so she's stapling and then um the kid's gonna shoplift and she shoots the staple gum at him and he goes hey you missed my eye by an inch and she goes half an inch honestly i love everything that comes out of iona's mouth it's pure gold and listeners know that we all think iona is iconic we just are running out of time maybe we'll have to devote an entire episode to her and the fabulous annie potts one day who knows this is the quote that my friend Lisa and I said for the rest of our high school lives and we probably went back and watched the, saw the movie a million times. But Blaine comes in and um he comes into tracks. Oh you guys, the first time he comes into tracks and the door rings and he pushes his sunglasses up on his hair his hair and his hair's long enough that it pulls it all back. Andrew McCarthy he he looks look so cute. cute. So yeah. he brings up the Steve Lawrence album and he goes, "Is this any good?" And this is the line that this was mine and Lisa's response for everything. He she goes, "Hot." white hot. And I have Mm -hmm. to say, um, last night, I was reading these quotes to uh, Brian, and he's like, test me on these and see if like, you say a little bit of it, if I know it. And I just said, so Blaine's going to walk into the record shop, and he's going to say, is this any good? And he's going to throw down the Steve Lawrence album. And without a beat, Brian goes, hot, white hot. I'm like, I couldn't love you more right right now. I couldn't (laughs) love you more right now. Um, Okay, um, Andy, um, I love this one. If somebody doesn't believe in me, I can't believe in them, which as we've said, sets up Um, Blaine's Uh, uh, end line Um, she says that in the stable Mm -hmm. she like makes him look at her and she says hey if Mm -hmm. someone doesn't believe in me I can't believe in them Steph money means nothing to me do you think I treat my parents house this way if it did Andrew Dice Clay I mean he's got a great cameo Mm -hmm. in this God I love when he's telling (laughs) I love his scenes with Ducky but then he goes loves a bitch duck loves a bitch and that's a (laughs) big line and -hmm. then you guys the most famous line of the movie the rallying cry is when Andy's going to prom anyway even after she's been dumped and her dad asks why she's still going. And she says, I just want to let them know that they didn't break me. Interesting fact is that this line has not only served as the defining message of the movie, um, but it was cut originally. They cut the oh. line for time. And then one of the two, I'm gonna forget which one, either Howard Deutsch or um John Hughes, when they saw that it was cut, we, were like, Nope, put that back in. And Thank God they did because think of it, right. we mm-hmm. had to have that line to really understand why she went to prom, but and then to, it gets ruined by the end. I know, I know. But <laughs> like we why also put it back in if you're going to ruin it. Yeah, yeah. But we had to know it because we had to know like. Like, that just more solidified, for me at least, that the strength of character that um, Andy Mm -hmm. had. So really, no matter how you feel about Pretty in Pink,
0: whether it inspired you or angered you, this movie defined a generation. It defined high school. It gave voice to the universal high school rivalry between the haves and the have-nots. It's not a lighthearted throwaway movie. It's a movie worthy of discussion and worthy of sharing with your kids and asking how they feel about it. That's the conversation that I want to have. And if you successfully got your kids to watch it, please send us a message yeah. and tell us what they had how? to say. I try kind of seriously. Yeah, how. First tell us how and then tell us what they had to say. I'm just so fascinated with what our Gen Z kids have to say. In some ways, they are far wiser than we were when we were that age. And that makes me kind of proud. Thank you once again for sharing this time with us today. And we look forward to being with you again next week.
2: Yeah, you guys, this was a dream conversation for me. I still cannot believe this is how I get to spend my days. So um, (laughs) thank you for coming and talking about Pretty in Pink with me finally. I've been wanting to do this movie for a long time, and this was so much fun. Um, And thank all of you who are listening and for sharing our podcast with everyone you know and for leaving us ratings or reviews where you listen. That is such a great way to help us get heard by more people. And you guys, we have just the best group of supporters on Patreon who honestly keep this whole project we love and you love trucking along. They fill our tanks with gas, they help us keep the lights on, and we couldn't be more grateful. Today, we're giving a special thank you to patrons Jennifer, Heather, Julie, Melissa, Donna, Darby, and Colleen.
1: And as usual, we are going to have some fun extras that we include in our weekly reader this week. So if you are not already subscribed, please go to poppreservationist.com or to our link in bio on YouTube. We're going to include a link to a YouTube clip that's called 10 Things You Never Knew. And I probably need to watch that um, about <laughs> Pretty and Pain. I bet, I, I bet you know I'm
0: now.
2: I bet you know him now after it. this conversation.
1: Oh, Yes.
0: In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days.
1: To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers!
2: Cheers.
1: <laughs>